0: you <laughs> Hi YouTube, it's Joshua Miles and welcome back to my channel. Today we're gonna be covering the solved true crime case for my Curious Case series. I'd just like to quickly give a massive thank you to everybody who came to Summer in the City this year and came to our true crime panel and then our meet and greet. It was so much fun. I will be uploading either later this week or early next week all the vlog footage around that on my second channel. So if you wanted to see what I got up to, then go check out my second channel. There is a link in the description. I also like to say that we will be recording Recording the first episode for our Crime Time podcast next week, so be sure you subscribe to that channel too. There's links to all those places in the description box below. This case has actually been requested by one of you guys on requestacase.com, and this case has been requested by Cozy Mama of Two. So, thank you to you for requesting this case. If you'd like to request a case to be covered on this channel, then go to requestacase.com and submit a case there. I'd just like to point out this video has not been made to cause disrespect or anything like that. It's just been made to spread awareness about this case by compiling information from various different public sources on the internet. Now, with all that being said, Let's delve right into this case. On Sunday, the 27th of January, 2008, 12-year-old Carissa Baudreau and her mother, Penny Baudreau, were driving to the local grocery store to pick a few items up for the week ahead. Now, Carissa and Penny had a typical teenage daughter-mum relationship. It was a very strange relationship. They were constantly at each other's throats and arguing back and forth with one another over things that didn't really matter. And that was exactly the case on this evening when the mother and daughter were driving to the grocery store. They were arguing back and forth on the car journey to the store. Now when they got to the grocery store, Carissa, the daughter, decided that she would stay in the car and that the mother, Penny, would go into the shop to get the few bits that they needed just so that they could both call off um, and because they'd had an argument and they didn't really want to be in each other's presence at that time. So Penny walked into the Bridgewater Mall Sobeys store to pick up a few products and she was only in there for about about 15 minutes. However, when Penny returned to the car 15 minutes later, Carissa was nowhere to be seen. Thirteen days later, on the 9th of February, 2008, a passerby discovered the remains of Carissa. The body of 12-year-old Carissa Baudreau was found on the bank of the La Havé River, which was just below Highway 331. She was found with her jeans and underwear down, which indicates a sexual motive, and she was also found with strangulation marks around her neck. What happened when Carissa left the car that quiet, sunday evening why did carissa leave the car and what monster was responsible for her death this is the curious case of carissa (laughs) boudreaux Carissa Paige Baudreau was born on Wednesday the 4th of October 1995 in Yarmouth, Nova Scotia, Canada to her parents Penny Baudreau and Paul Baudreau. Now, Carissa had a fairly regular childhood as a 90s kid, and one of her favorite things to play with as she was growing up was her Nintendo DS. Just like a lot of people that were born in the 90s, it was a go-to favorite hobby, like playing Nintendogs and that kind of thing. Her favorite music at the time was the favorite music of every girl growing up in that time period, the Spice Girls, Miley Cyrus, and Hilary Duff. Now, sometime in 2007, just before Carissa turned 12 years old, she actually completed a babysitting course at her local school, and she was also made a peer mediator at her local school, too. And that was at Bridgewater Elementary School. Carissa absolutely adored and loved animals, and all kinds of animals, and whenever she was asked what she wanted to do when she grew up, when she got older, she'd always reply with that she wanted to be a vet. She wanted to care for animals. Like after animals and just work with animals in her career. Carissa had two siblings, a brother and a sister, and a very large extended family. Now, when Carissa was young, and I believe when they were still living in Yarmouth her parents split up for unknown reasons. Carissa initially lived with her father, Paul, in Shelburne County. However, for more unknown reasons, she eventually went to go live with her mother in Bridgewater. Now, Penny, Carissa's mother, actually shared a two-bedroom apartment in Bridgewater with her boyfriend, who was called Vernon Macumba. And as I described earlier in this case, Penny and Carissa didn't get on the best. They haven't got a very solid and strong relationship. They were always arguing back and forth. They were constantly bickering at one another. However, this is typical of The majority of mother-daughter relationships at this time when the daughter is going through teenage years, it's very common for there to be a strained relationship between a teenage child and a parent. So this didn't raise any red flags or any cause for concern. Now let's go back and talk about the evening when Carissa went missing. Now, there are two conflicting reports on Penny's story about what happened that evening. And I believe that's because the story changes. Um, later on, and Penny changes her story a little bit but let 's let 's delve into what she told um, the police what happened so when Penny left the grocery store and came back to the car and noticed that Carissa wasn't in there, she, according to one source and one report, she immediately phoned for the police and reported her daughter as missing. And she did that at about 8.30pm on that Sunday evening. Now the other report is that she actually didn't phone the police straight away and she actually phoned her boyfriend Vernon, um, and then drove home and then phoned the police from home. but there's equal equal parts articles saying one way and equal parts articles saying the other way, so One of those two events happened, and I'm inclined to believe that the story that Penny went with is the one where she phoned her boyfriend, drove home, and then phoned for the police at home. The police, Carissa's family members, and even members of the public began an extremely extensive search for the missing 12-year-old. Everybody was under the impression that she had simply run away from home as a result of an argument with her mother. The police knew that a winter storm was soon to hit the area, and they wanted to find Carissa before it would be too late. Carissa had run away in thin clothing. She didn't have any jackets or anything warm on her, which meant that she likely wouldn't survive a Nova Scotia winter storm. Now, the authorities were quick to think on their feet and decided to bring in a search dog to try and pick up a scent from the car park of where Carissa went and try to locate her in an effort to try to locate her. Um, However, when they brought a search dog to the car park, to the exact spot where Carissa went missing, the dog was unable to find any scent trail, which could have a number of causes. For example, the scent trail could have been crossed by another animal or it could have just not been a strong enough scent trail or there's a lot of different factors that counter into whether a search dog can find a scent trail. But like I said, the search dog, this attempt at finding Carissa was to no avail. They didn't have any results from it. An intensive sweep of the now partially frozen Le Havre River was conducted by the authorities in an attempt to find any evidence or anything that could point to where Carissa was. Perhaps she fell into the river or something to that effect. However, all these searches were unsuccessful and were to no avail. Local members of the public and the authorities and volunteers would brave the now very very bad winter storm conditions to go hand out flyers and continue searching for the missing 12 year old Carissa in in the hopes that they can find her and bring her home. Absolutely everybody wanted to find this missing girl because she wasn't wearing very thick clothing and is it's known that she wouldn't have survived the winter storm in little clothing. They just wanted to bring her home. And the winter storm by this point had hit. So, Carissa's chances of survival was quickly plummeting. Now, Penny made two public appeals about, um, her daughter and about locating her daughter, and appeals to the public and appeals to her daughter. Um, and these two appeals are actually very interesting and we're gonna come back to it later in this video. Four days after Carissa went missing on the 31st of January 2008, the skies above Nova Scotia cleared and the heavy winter storm that had hit had finally passed. The police immediately began to scour through the local wooded areas around the Bridgewood area. However, this was unfortunately to no avail. On the 4th of February, the police actually brought in helicopters to aid in the search and to go back over all the areas they searched with thermal cameras in an attempt to locate Carissa. However, this too was to no avail. On the 6th of February 2008, after an extensive diving operation, divers who dove into the La Jave River concluded that it is highly unlikely that Chris in- was in there and. They were practically confident 100% that Carissa uh, was not in the La Havé River. By this point, the police had received a large amount of tips and had followed every single tip up to the best of their abilities, but again, to no avail. There was nothing pointing to where Carissa was. There was nothing at all to say, you know, no evidence to say where she was. There was no trail, there was no evidence that she'd even you know, gotten out of that car that day, besides the first witness account by her mother. The police began to prepare for the likely result of the discovery of Carissa's remains. However, Carissa's family never gave up hope once. That was until the 9th of February 2008, 13 days after Carissa went missing when a motorist discovered the remains of a little girl. And these remains were found on the bank of the La Jave River, just below Highway 331. The remains were discovered just outside the town perimeter of Bridgewater at 11.30am, and as you can imagine, as soon as they were reported, forensics teams swooped in to try and find any forensic evidence. However, it took five days for this body of a little girl to be positively identified and confirmed as Carissa. Five days of anguish for Carissa's family and they managed to confirm the remains to have been Carissa's through the use of dental records. I won't delve into much detail as to why it took them five days, but it was winter and there are animals in the forest and the woods and the remains are found in the woods. I won't paint the picture any further. This missing person's case quickly transformed into a full-scale homicide investigation. On the 15th of February 2008, the day after the remains were confirmed to be that of Carissa, two local residents in Bridgewater were actually arrested in connection to the case. However, both these residents were then released without charge. It is unknown on what grounds the police arrested these residents. Uh, Perhaps they were on some kind of sex offenders list or something to that effect. Um, But as you can tell, it was quickly determined that they were not connected to this case. The police were stumped. Bridgewater hadn't actually seen a murder in over 20 years, so it was very shocking to the local police force that something so tragic and so gruesome could occur in their town. Interestingly, an autopsy was conducted on Carissa and it determines that despite the fact that Carissa was found naked from the waist down, there was no signs of any sexual assault, um, which leaves a really strange suggestion in the police's mind. Why was Chris's body found with her jeans and underwear down, um, and there's no sign of sexual assault? It quickly became clear that it seemed as if somebody was trying to set it up, as if to say that Carissa had been a victim of sexual assault when she hadn't. The autopsy also confirms that Carissa had been strangled to death with a piece of twine. The police in this case were quickly starting to grow very suspicious of one particular character, the last person to see Carissa alive, Penny, her mother. On the 19th of February 2008, the parents of Carissa held a memorial service for her. So many people from the town and the surrounding areas came to the memorial service that people spilled out into the car park. They all came to support um, Carissa's family and to pay their respects. The service was extremely emotional, with Carissa's aunties reading poems to weeping crowds. However, Penny, Carissa's mother, Remained stone-cold faced the entire time of the entire service. She had just... No expression on her face. She didn't shed a tear. It wasn't long after the funeral that Penny and her boyfriend moved 90 kilometers away from Bridgewater. However, this didn't stop the police from continuing to investigate Penny as a suspect in this case. The police decided to use a version of the Mr. Big technique to investigate uh, Penny's involvement or potential involvement in her daughter's murder in Carissa's murder. Now if you're not familiar with the Mr. Big technique, it is a very controversial method of essential legal entrapment to enable undercover police officers to retrieve vital intel to be used as evidence in court. And they get this intel from the potential suspects themselves. The technique itself is actually really complicated and it is very controversial, however, statistics show that it is potentially estimated to be 95% effective in finding a conviction when used. If you want me to do a video talking about different cases in which the Mr. Big technique has been used, then leave a comment down below and let me know. I'll be happy to do that for you and to explain that technique to you. It's very, very interesting. Like I said, the police used a variant of this technique in order to further investigate Penny's involvement. Undercover police officers posed as part of a crime syndicate and approached Penny and they contacted Penny and promised her that if they just told her what she'd what she done, then they would, you know, make all these issues go away with the police, they would get someone else to take the blame, they would set someone else up so the attention would move away from Penny so that she could get away with it. And after a few months of gaining Penny's trust in June of 2008, Penny actually confessed to the undercover police officers what she had done. She confessed that she would do anything for Vernon, and the thought of losing him was harder than the thought of losing her daughter. You see, Vernon, Penny's boyfriend, had given her an ultimatum. He told Penny that she would have to choose between him and Carissa, and if she didn't choose him, then he would leave her forever. So Penny decided to brutally murder her own 12-year-old daughter in order to stay with her boyfriend, Vernon. On the 16th of June 2008, Penny Baudreau was arrested and charged with a single count of first-degree murder. And that is for the murder of her 12-year-old daughter, Carissa. Massive crowds gathered at the courthouse and yelled insults and profanities at Penny as she was brought to court. prosecution revealed that they believe Carissa to have died on the same day that she was reported missing. On the 22nd of October, Penny's defense lawyer waived her right to a preliminary hearing, which suggested that the defense believed that the Crown could meet the minimal test at the preliminary hearing level, which effectively meant that the defense knew that the Crown's evidence and the prosecution's evidence against Penny was absolutely overwhelming and there was not that much that they could Could do to help Penny. And this meant that they were going to try and aim for a plea deal. On the 30th of January 2009, Penny Baudreau pled guilty to second-degree murder under the plea deal, which meant that she was taking the lesser charge of second-degree murder over the Uh, heavier sentence that came along with first-degree murder. Penny briefly addressed the court and told the court that she was sorry. And she revealed that she would have done absolutely anything for her boyfriend, Vernon. And it was between Vernon and her daughter in order for her relationship with Vernon to survive. Crown attorney Paul Scoville said that Penny would do anything for Vernon, and the thought of losing him was harder than the thought of losing her daughter. The court found and was satisfied that they didn't believe that Vernon on meant for Penny to kill Carissa, simply that he meant for Penny to send Carissa to go live back with her father. And then the court heard what really happened that fateful Sunday evening. While Carissa waited for her mother in the car, Penny went into the grocery store and rang her boyfriend Vernon, and she informed him that Carissa had run away and had gone missing. That is when Penny then got back into her car and drove with her daughter to a nearby road. Penny then instructed her 12-year-old daughter to get out of the car. Penny then forced Carissa, her only daughter, to the ground and proceeded to strangle her to death with a piece of twine. According to Penny, her daughter's last words were, Mummy, don't. Penny then loaded her daughter's body into the back of her car before driving around, trying to decide what to do next, what to do with the body. Penny drove down the highway before pulling off and dumping her daughter's body next to the river. She then removed some of Carissa's clothes in an attempt to stage a sexual motive and to move suspicion away from herself to a different person, to try and evade suspicion. Penny then drove home and reported Carissa as missing to the police. She claims that Carissa had simply run away after an argument and had gone missing and she had no idea where she was. Penny Boudreau was sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole after 20 years have been served. Now let's talk about those public appeals that Carissa made. Experts reviews the videotape footage from the two public appeals that Penny made and determines that her body language and her vocabulary and the way that she said things was not consistent with that of somebody who was looking for their daughter. It, she didn't seem very panicked or very stressed or very worried um, and it seems to experts at least that um, she knew something else was going on and that to me is it just goes on to show what kind of a person and what kind of a monster Penny Baudreau is. And that is everything that we have for you in today's case. Thank you so much for watching this episode in my Curious Case series. Like I said at the start of the video, this case has been requested by one of you guys, so feel free to go to requestacase.com if you have any case suggestions, and leave any case suggestions there. I will be at insomnia65 next weekend with Ellen O'Neill. If you are going, then tweet me and we can hang out and have a good time. Um, I will be uploading probably another video on Sunday I'm hoping, Um, so that video will be coming then. Don't forget to like this video if you found it interesting. Leave a comment down below telling me what you thought about this case. In my opinion, Penny is an absolute monster and the scum of the earth, and there is something definitely, definitely wrong going on in her head. And I can't I can't help but feel such heartbreak and pain for Carissa and her family. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel if you want to see some more Jew videos and hit that bell icon if you want to be notified every single time that I post a video. I also now have a Discord server to just talk with me about random things, which I will link down below. Um, and with all that being said, I'll see you in the next video.